You're listening to a live service from Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Uh, let's open up our Bibles this morning, please, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 29. This passage is Jesus declaring the need for those around him to take heed to what he has said. And the compilation of material that was compiled by Matthew in chapters 5, 6, and 7 really capsule much of, not all, but much of the ethical teaching of Christ. What he desires his body to look like. What he said people in his kingdom would look like. And he closes out his teachings, at least Matthew does, the compilation of them, in verse 24 through 29 of chapter 7 in Matthew. Therefore, he said, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Shane's daughter, Shane, just sang that song to us. He's my portion when I had nothing else. When the storms come, when the storms come, it'll be my portion. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. If you think for one minute that just because we accept Christ we will never be in a storm, you are mistaken. To be honest with you, you and I who are believers are the only ones that are equipped to handle that storm. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. The scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' day were busy quoting what other men said. Honestly, it's much like religious scholars today who have conversations among themselves. But Jesus' teachings were totally unique. Not just because they were different, and in many cases they were, but because when he spoke the authority of Christ could be sensed. They could feel it down to the very core of their being that what he said was the word of God. And I want to minister to you this morning, uh, our last service together, the authority of Christ. The authority 
of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the opportunity that we have to minister and declare Christ as Lord and God over all, as the supreme one, as the majestic one who is our Lord and our Savior. We give you praise for being that. Today, Father, let us warm our hearts through the knowledge that you have all authority. You have all power. It's been granted to you. And I thank you that it's extended to us in the name of Jesus. Help us to realize the privilege and the responsibility that we have through this message. Let the preacher and teacher come, the one who makes teaching and preaching easy. And I'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. This weekend, I have attempted to put together a series of messages, and it was purposeful. It was in my mind to head this direction, and I felt like it was the leading of the Lord. So if you were not able to be here, I know that those meetings were uh, recorded, and I would greatly recommend that you take them after this service and add them together and let them be listening Add them together in your heart and in your spirit. Friday night, we talked about the law of faith. And while it may seem simple, I say again to you that your faith is the most important asset that you have over everything else in your life. Because your faith in Christ, your dependence upon him, your reliance upon him to be your savior, is what opens the door for you to have a relationship with God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And Paul said that we are justified. We are declared innocent. And that gives us a status that God can deal with when we place our faith in Christ. And in Romans 3.25, he said it's not just Christ, but it's the fact that he is the propitiation through his blood and that our faith should be in him. And what he did for us, the redemptive act at Calvary, is worthy to be the object of your faith. That's what the Bible is really all about, man's fall and God's war on sin. It's not your war on sin because you can't win that war. God set out to defeat sin, and he did so through the power of the cross. Before the foundation of the world, there was a lamb slain in the mind of God for our redemption. And so the law of faith tells us that our faith must always be in Christ and who he is and what he's done. When I talk about laws today, I had somebody say, and several actually, well, you're teaching us a lot of law this weekend. Make, make sure you understand that when I say the law of faith, I'm speaking of a constant, something that should be like the law of gravity. We realize that it's there. We realize that it's from its importance, and we hold fast to this truth, this constant, that if our faith is in Jesus and what he's done, then we have an entrance into relationship with God, and that faith will hold you through it all. Secondly, we came back on Saturday morning, and I usually do this in a different order, but because of the time we had, I opened up the law of Christ. And I told you that many of us have not term, have seen that term preached. And I took you to two passages, Galatians 6 and 2 and 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. 
really 1 Corinthians 9, 21. And we looked at Paul that said in both those passages, he said, I am free. I am at liberty. I am not bound to Mosaic law. I am not bound to the rules of religion. And so I live my life with liberty, but liberty has responsibility. Liberty had responsibility to Paul. He said, I am subject to Christ. I am, I am not my own. I'm bought with a price. Therefore, I serve God and I willingly, from a motivation of love, serve him. And I understand that I owe my life to him. So with all that I am, I am under Christ. I'm under his teachings. I'm under his, his ways of salvation. I'm, I am dependent upon what he's done for me. So as I start with the law of faith, I realize that while I'm at liberty and no longer under the laws of man or even the law of Moses, I am under the law of Christ. I'm subject to him. All that he said, all that he did through his word and through his apostles, I live subject to the law of Christ. I owe my life to Christ. But if I'm going to do that, I need a power source. And that's where last night we went to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Because there we find it is the Holy Spirit who is our source of power to live this Christian life. God didn't just give us a means of salvation. He also gave us the opportunity to have him himself living on the inside of us and provide us with power for change and power for service. Salvation opens up the door for the presence of the Holy Spirit to abide and bring you freedom from sin and change and opens up the spirit world to you, opens up the scriptures to you, opens up life with Christ. But the baptism with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, opens up a world of service, a world of the supernatural. Now, granted, we as Pentecostals today aren't seeing what we need to see or what we'd like to see, but I'm glad I'm standing with the group of people that have chosen to believe that God still operates in the supernatural. And God's supernatural workings are not a show. They are to be a signal, a sign, and a wonder that points us not to men and not to ministries, but to Christ. It confirms the word that Jesus is the Savior, that he's alive and well. When he heals the sick, he doesn't do that just so that somebody can take his glory. He does that so you will know that it's just as easy for him to forgive your sin as it is to heal your body. And that he's still able to do it. So we have a power source, ladies and gentlemen, available to us if we will allow God to move through us by faith. The law of faith. The foundation, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the power source for personal growth and ministry. And I've been thrilled to see people come back to the Lord or accept the Lord this weekend as well as last night baptized 
with the Holy Spirit. So today we talk to you in our last time together on the, on the importance of the things that Jesus has said to us. Now I know that seems simple and it seems, well, I already know, but do you? Are you living in the light of the knowledge of what he said? This message is just that simple. I'm challenging you this morning. Are your thoughts surrounded by what he said was the way we should live? Are you approaching life the way that he said we should? Are you letting him be Lord of your life and not just a name you mention on Sunday morning or maybe once in a while during the week? Is your faith invading your personal space? Is what he has said to us on your mind? For us today, there are several ways that Christ has revealed himself. First of all, through his words, and we have them recorded in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus told his disciples, he said, well, first of all, let me say this. I've said it all weekend. I'm going to say it again to you this morning. Jesus Christ, his person, is God's highest revelation of the nature and character of God. He told his disciples, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So here's a, a man, he looked just like you or me. And yet he was the example to humanity of the creator of all the world. Philip, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what he said was an extension of the Father's voice. What he did was the extension of the Father's will. What he, how he reacted was the extension of his Father's emotion. If you want to see how we should act, what we should say, what we should live like, you need to look at Jesus. He told us not just come unto me, but he said, and this is a commandment, listen. He said, learn of me. Look at me. I am the expression of God's character and nature. I am an example of what true life should be like and how it should be lived. Look at me. He commanded us to study him and to look at those reactions and statements and works so that we would know what God is really like. God is not a mystery. He has revealed himself. And the highest act of revelation is in the person of Christ. Secondly, we not only have Christ, but we also have his apostles. In his short three and a half years of ministry, Jesus said many things about redemption and revealed his character and revealed his nature. But we can only handle so much at one time as human beings. Somebody wave at me say amen. Are you okay? Are you here? Are you listening? Yeah, you are. We can only take on so much. And Jesus said to his disciples, I have a whole lot of other things I want to reveal to you, but you're just not ready yet. It's okay not to be ready for all things. It's not okay to ignore what you know. Take what you know and run with it. And pay attention to it. And if you're paying attention to what you now know about the things of God, I promise you, to whom much is given, much more will be given. Because you take care of the things that God has revealed to you. 
But Jesus told his disciples on the night before he left, there's a lot of things that I haven't been able to tell you yet. There's a lot of things that I will not be able to reveal to you. You can't bear them now. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will reveal to you all truth. The first 10 or 12 years of the church, they didn't understand what we would learn from Paul because it was 12 or 14 years after the crucifixion before Paul's ministry began. And it was Paul who came and gave us the understanding of the new covenant. So the first apostles understood some things, but progressively as God made his word known and revealed to them more, he brought more information. And once you have the information, you are responsible for what you have heard. But they didn't know everything. So the apostles would be an extension of Christ's voice as they penned their epistles, as they penned their gospels, as they penned the things that they had learned. So the authority of Christ's voice is not just exhibited in Christ himself, it is exhibited as well in the voice of his apostles and written for us in Scripture. The Bible teaches us plainly that all Scripture is given. Do you understand that Scripture is a gift? God's revelation through His Christ and through His apostles lives today in this book. If you want to find out about God, put down all the other books for a while. Put down all the other things that men say, and let's look at what God has to say. If our nation ever needed a revival of Bible students, it is right now. And you, right here, right now, can be that group of people that commit to the Word of God. Not to what everybody else says, not what Facebook says, or to Facebook, or whatever. I don't, it's not that. It's we spend more time in social media than we do in the Word of God. But His Word is the Word that will help us. It is a gift. All Scripture is given by inspiration. God breathes. So the words of Christ are recorded by the apostles, but then the doctrine that was learned later, the things revealed later about the new creation man and born again and changed inwardly and the power of the Holy Spirit, those things that we've taught this weekend, that we've preached this weekend, they came later. But they're our responsibility because the apostles, listen, the apostles are Christ's voice extended beyond his earthly ministry. They are his voice. And what they have said is profitable to us for reproof, for correction, so that the house of God may be thoroughly furnished, and we are the house, we are the temple of God. So what Christ said is important, what his apostles said was important, and there's a, a third witness to us today that we're responsible for. Every single one of you that accepts Christ as your Savior is the recipient of the Holy Spirit. That's separate and distinct from the baptism with the Holy Spirit, which is for service. But 1 John says in 1 John 2 and 20, and this is interesting, and you might want to keep this. 1 John 2 and 20 says, but you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. 
Now, guys, you might want to record that and keep that this time. You know, We know all things, but be careful. How do we know all things? I'm teasing. If you don't know, don't worry about it. How do we know all things? Well, honestly, we don't. But everything that you need to know about God can be revealed to you through the person of the Holy Spirit that now lives in you. You have the capability of learning and understanding spiritual truth because the teacher, the master teacher, lives on the inside of you. doesn't mean you're the smartest cookie in the jar, sharpest knife in the drawer. That's not what he meant. He meant that you can learn the things of God because God inside of you wants to reveal it to you. And it takes time. It's like, it's like this is my 35th year of living for God. And this Bible is like a jigsaw puzzle. It's like throwing all the pieces out. And first you find, you know, the edge pieces. And then you start putting the colors together. Nobody does jigsaw puzzle. Okay. And, but after a while... You, you begin to see, oh, that fits here, and that fits here. And the more of the puzzle you put together, the better of the picture that you get. So it's okay to take your time, but you can put the picture together through the words of Christ, the words of his apostles, and the word of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. He will guide you into all truth. First John 2 and 27 in the same chapter says, But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you. Now that doesn't mean that we don't need the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. That would be a violation of God's word. But what it means is that you have something on the inside of you that if you'll develop a sensitivity to that voice, and Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, they know me and they follow me. When you develop a sensitivity to the spirit that lives within, when you hear something that's wrong, there's something and you go, no, uh-uh. When you hear something that's right, you go, yes, because it's in you. You can trust that voice. You need to learn to develop that. When you're watching uh, Christian television, or you need that voice to be able to identify, well, I don't know, trust that. Anything that the Holy Spirit reveals to you will also be revealed through His Word. And you're responsible for those witnesses because they have expressed to you the authority of Christ. First of all, I want to take you then, if we're sure that we're headed in the right direction, Christ's authority was prophesied by Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, 18 through 19, you remember that the people of God were not wanting to hear from God themselves. Remember on the Sinai when God came down and there was fire and there was, there was, there was, there was, uh, uh, a voice and thunder. It was fearfully fearful to look up for the children of Israel, look up at Sinai and see God there. And they, and they heard, they literally heard his voice. They heard God's voice. And they came to Moses afterwards and said, man, we don't, I'm sorry, we just don't want to hear that anymore. I'm not sure we can handle that. It's just not, so you talk to God and then tell us what he said. 
And God said, you know, that's the right attitude. Because if you get too close to me and you're not ready for it, it's going to be a problem. So Moses, I'm going to talk to you. And you tell the children of Israel what they need to know. And right before he eliminated, or as he was teaching, as they were going into the promised land, he told them in Deuteronomy 18, again 18 and 19, he told them that after himself would be another person that came. And he said this, Deuteronomy 18, 18 and 19, I will raise them up a prophet from among their own brethren, like unto thee, like you, Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto all them all that I shall command him. This is a prophetic utterance by Moses of the prophet Jesus that would come and speak the authoritative word of God to the people. Verse 19, And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. So the prophetic utterance by Moses is, I'm sending a prophet like Moses. And Israel was looking for that prophet. What they didn't realize is that the prophet and the Messiah and, and, the, and the one that would heal and the one was all one person. That the king and the Messiah and the prophet were all one. They were looking for separate. That's why they asked John the Baptist, Oh, are you the Messiah? No. Oh, are you that prophet? No. Oh, well, who are you? I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. Because he was about to announce that the one that Moses had talked about was stepping out into the world, and that man was supposed to be heard above and beyond even the voice of Moses. And Moses said, Whatever he says, whatever he declares you better be sure that you're connected to it because God is going to require it of you Whoo! so when the highest revelation of God stepped out on two feet he began to declare what must be accepted and what must be heard Christ's authority was confirmed in the New Testament look at Hebrews chapter 1 and I know I'm traveling through a bunch of verses, but I just, I want you tied in to this thought. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, God, who at sundry or different times in diverse manners in different ways spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, verse 2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. God spoke through the prophets. He spoke through Moses. But in these last days, this is the words of Christ, He spoke to us through His Son. It would be the highest and most efficient and most powerful and accurate revelation of God. Where did it come from? It came from His Son. Is anybody getting a feel for the idea that maybe I better look at again the things that he said? Because God, who in times past spoke by the law and the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Remember the story of the three guys that went up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus? 
Remember that? Jesus goes up onto a mountain. All of a sudden, what he really was becomes a reality. They see what he really is in his nature. Purity, a, a, a white color or a clearness that was so pure and holy, they just, Peter, James, and John just kind of go, and down they go, afraid. And Elijah and Moses appear to Jesus and talk to him about his death at Calvary and what lies ahead. And the three of them are just sitting there and shaking and don't know what to say. And Peter, who has that ability to be Petty dexterous, you know what, you know, ambidextrous is, is meaning you can use both hands, which I, I can't. But uh, petty dexterous means that you're able to put both feet in the same mouth at the same time. And Peter was an expert at it. And he doesn't know what else to say. He's sitting there shaking, and he's thinking, I mean, what, what would you do if you really saw this man that looks like a man? All of a sudden, you see his purity coming, bursting out with a color that's absolutely gorgeous. And uh, Peter said, well, uh, let's build three tabernacles and, and stay right here. This is cool. This is good. This is right. And out of the heavens comes a voice that storms and says, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Shut up, Peter, and listen. You don't have to say anything, but you do have to listen to my son. Hear ye him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The highest and last revelation of my nature and character. Hear ye him. I say to you this morning, relative to the words and expressions of Christ and his apostles and the Holy Spirit. Hear, stop talking. Hear ye him. Hear him. In the Great Commission, Jesus is leaving, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. After the crucifixion, after the resurrection, at his ascension. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them. Teach all nations means to literally make disciples of all nations, evangelize, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. But have we looked at verse 20? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have said. Teach my people to observe what I have commanded. What are we supposed to be like? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to, how are we supposed to respond? Hear ye him. Look at him. Learn of him. Strive to become as he was. Respond as he did. Love like he did. Act like he did. That's a command. Teach them all things. So when Jesus came teaching, it's interesting that his voice began to supersede the voice of Moses. And in Matthew chapter 5, I know I'm bouncing you all over Scripture, but it fits. Believe me, it all works together. It's that jigsaw puzzle I talked about. 
when Jesus starts talking to Israel, he has to come to them and basically qualify his statements before he gives them. He said, I'm not coming to you to destroy the law. And he has to say that because some of the things that he said will actually supersede the law. Now, that's a difficult term and a difficult thought. But let me give you the thought. Jesus would never tear down and throw away the law because the law was God's third greatest revelation of his nature and character. We talked about this over the weekend, but let me say it again to you. The law of Moses was a form and a shadow of Christ. It, everything in it revealed Christ. And I equated it this weekend to a, to a form that was created in which today we might pour cement in, whether it's on a driveway or a sidewalk or something we need on the farm or we're fixing a dog's pen or a cattle trough, whatever we, and we need to pour cement. Well, you don't just pour cement on the ground. It won't hold. You got to have a, you got to have a form. And so you go ahead and get your two by fours or whatever you're going to use and you put your stobs in the ground and you measure them all out and you make sure everything is level because once that form is set, then it's ready for the cement to be poured into that form. Well, the law basically gave us a form. It wasn't the end of the revelation. It wasn't the completed revelation. All of it was a form. It gave us a form. So Jesus said and said, uh, relative to him and his teaching, he said, hey, I, I didn't come to tear down the form. But I came to fulfill it. Now, in the natural, we take that form and we pour the cement in. And the cement then begins to harden. And, and one of the fellows told me this weekend again, there's a seven-day hardening and there's a 28-day hardening. But honestly, that cement is curing forever. It never really gets as hard as it will always be, maybe at a certain time. But it takes time. But after seven days, you can tear that form off. About a week when we did it, when I was pouring cement for swimming pool decks, we, we would take it off after about a week, and it was safe to walk on. Driveways, we tried to do a little longer, and maybe that was the 28-day hardness. Is that driveways 28? Anyway, yeah, okay. So, it, but that's the process. Jesus said, I came to put the cement in the form. You see it? So I didn't come to abolish the form. But when Jesus began to work and speak, his words superseded anything else that anyone else would say. Now, supersede, and I know it's a definition, and I don't mean to bore you, but I have to say this to you. Supersede means that whatever has been said previously in authority is now become, in and of itself, obsolete. Obsolete is not wrong, it's obsolete. Okay? Um, obso okay, phones. Phones. Uh, um, when I was growing up, we had 
Man, we were high tech. We had phones. Our phone was in the kitchen. And, you know, when we first got it, it was on the desk in the kitchen. And if you wanted to make a call, you had to go in and pick up the phone, sit down at the desk, and rotate the dial, which some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. And, you know, what? Hey, but a few years later, we got high tech. Mom went and got a push-button phone and hung it up on the wall. And, man, we were high tech now. Instead of going rotary, we went bing, 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 bing. And listen to this. We actually bought us a 30-foot cord so we could take that phone still connected to the wall and walk around and sit in the dining room. And, man, we were high tech on the phone. And when I started, we had that thing called a party line, which doesn't mean everybody was partying. It means everybody was listening. <laughs> and Aunt Bertha, who had nothing else to do, just stayed on the phone and listened to what everybody else had to say because there were like five, six families on that party line. It wasn't a party at all. It was a gossip session. But at least you could, you know, hey, you know what? I could take that phone, and if I wanted to pay for it, I could call anybody else anywhere in the world. Even on that silly little rotary phone on the desk that couldn't move and couldn't leave the desk in the kitchen. But it worked. But if I asked you to take a phone today and set it on the desk in the kitchen and dial the numbers and watch them go. Some of you are going to have to look that up on Google when you leave here. You say, Brother Larson, why should I do that? Are you kidding? On my phone, I can get directions. On my phone, I can get information. On my phone, I can watch TV. On my phone, I can watch church. On my phone, I can listen to my music. And every now and then, I even talk to somebody. I, 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 I can operate on, you know, with my apps. I got an app for that, and I got an app for this. I got an app for that, and I got an app for this. I said, no, 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 no. No, 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 you need the, you need the, the phone on the kitchen table and the rotary thing. He said, no, 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 no. This, is, this, is, this phone has superseded that phone. It's made that old phone obsolete, not wrong, not bad, not evil. For the time that it existed, it was vital importance to the development of phones. But today, you, you know, it's, it's more complex than a computer. Because what you have today is up to date. What you had before was just a form of what was coming. You see it? So the law was important because it gave the form. But there came a day in time when what Moses said was superseded by what Jesus said. Get it? Not bad, not wrong, obsolete. And in Matthew chapter 6, uh, he, he began to declare, and really it's, it's Matthew chapter 5, he said this, he said, I have come to not abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I've come to show you what that law, that form was really meant to do for humanity. 
And what I say is more authoritative than what Moses said. So don't think that I've come to destroy the law. I've come to fill it up. I've come to complete it. I'm, I'm going to show you what the form was for and what the form would produce. You see. And then he said this, showing the form. You say, or they have said of old, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But... I say, whose voice do we listen to? His authority. I say unto you, you can't even be mad at someone without a cause. Ooh. But I didn't kill him. That's the form. The substance of the form is you can't even allow anger to continually exist in you. Because anger is the thing that causes you to whip out that pistol in a moment of emotion and fire it and kill somebody. It'll stop you. You can't even be angry. But you don't know what they did. You don't know how they, you don't know how they, how they treated me. You don't, you know. And see, a lot of the things that the devil does for us, especially with our fellow church person, is that you think something and it never happened. But you're sure that they said it. You're sure that they did it. Oh, they had to be talking about you. How else could they know it? And anger and hatred for your fellow servant in the Lord's house starts to rise up. You know, you get Sister Big Hair sitting in front of you. These days we don't have the big hair like we used to, you know, the bees and what have you, but they, they, they sister big hair. You come into church and sister big hair sits right in front of you. And no matter where you go in the church, she just comes and sits right in front of you. You can't see the speaker, you can't see the music, and then she starts worshiping and whoop, 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 hair goes all over the place. And everywhere you go, you got to go to church with sister big hair. I don't think I'll even come anymore because sister Big hair does that on, to me on purpose. Wait a minute. Wrong attitude. Even if she did it on purpose, wrong attitude. They said, don't murder. I say to you. These are kingdom principles that supersede, replace the obsolete law. Of Moses. No adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, guys and gals. Marriage. He said it's wrong to even be looking and thinking. Well, I, I didn't do it. Just because you didn't have the opportunity doesn't mean you didn't want to. I'm preaching better than you're amen. Sexual lust is, is a part of being a human being. In the, in the sense, lust is a strong, ardent desire. It's natural for people to have a sexual desire. And I'm going to be real careful here. I'm not treading your business and I'm not preaching on sex. But it has to be brought under the control of the Holy Spirit. And it can be. We'll talk about that in a minute. But here's the commands of Jesus. Young people, you got hormones on fire. I get it. 
But even those hormones can be adjusted by the power of the Holy Spirit and can change your want-tos. Families are under attack like never before. And this is one of the greatest hindrances. And it's something that we all have to deal with. And that's why I bring it to your attention. And I know it's, I, I'm glad the children have left, so I'm speaking to adults. Jesus said, if you really love your wife or your husband, it's not enough that you just don't do it. But you got to stay away from the strong, ardent desire. Some of the things that we watch on our Netflix account or our Prime Video account probably don't help us with this. I am meddling now. Some of the things that we watch now on basic television. Oh, it's such a great love story. Okay, I'm going to be real careful here, but belly bumping is not going to help you keep lust to a minimum. And watching belly bumping is not going to help you keep lust to a minimum. Well, are you putting me under law? I'm making you aware of Christ's voice. And then he said, divorce for any reason? Today divorce happens, and I come from a divorce. My mom and dad divorced. I know the pain and hurt of divorce. I get it. So I'm not talking about things I don't know. But there can be a love for God that keeps a marriage together. In those days, men just divorce women for any reason. You know, I heard a pastor say this the other day, and I'll bring it up and just lay it out for your perusal or thinking. The woman at the well, Jesus said, you've had five husbands. But back then, the, the ladies didn't have a choice. Men could throw you away for burning toast. Or not making toast. Any reason. Boom. And they did it. And they quoted the law while they did it. Moses said we could put her away. Oh, she's not pleasing me. Put her away. Oh, she's not pleasing me. Put her away. Oh, she's not pleasing me. Put her away. Oh, he's not pleasing me. Put her away. And Jesus said Moses allowed it because of the hardness of your heart. Jesus said. The things that keep a marriage together, and I'm not bringing condemnation. If you've gone through a divorce, God bless you. And let God heal you and move forward with your life. And let God be at the center of the relationship that you have. Let God be at the center. Because if we don't, then, you know, things will get in our heads and We'll just throw away people. Matthew 5, he said, keep your vows. I won't go there. But then when he said this, Matthew 5, an eye for a, you've heard them say it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, turn the other cheek. Now, when he brings this form, he literally 
changes the action altogether. How can he do that? He has the authority to do it. He literally changes the law. You've heard it say, listen, I'm glad that we don't live for the eye for eye, tooth for the tooth. I've got a grandson, Wyatt, Grace's little boy. He's going to bust it up if it exists. Anybody have a little boy like that? He's just, he's a boy. He's all boy. He's, he's a, and he's, his dad is a Texan. And he's like his dad. He's a, he, he belongs out on a farm where he can break everything, you know. And Wyatt, is, he's just going to break everything. And he's, he's a sweetheart of a boy. He's just kind, and, but he's, he's all boy. And when you get around Wyatt, I call him Wyatt Riot because, you know, if the piano bench is there earlier, it's probably broken later. If the toilet seat was there earlier, it's probably broken later because Wyatt just goes, ah! <laughs> That's, you know, his, he breaks it. And I know that when he gets into, into school, he's a tough little country boy. And somebody's going to say something to him, and he and his dad fight in kung fu every night. I mean, this is his big thing, you know. Come on, Dad, I'm going to kung, you know, his karate kid one and two, and he's, you know, Power Rangers. And he's just, he's just going, I mean, he's ready to go. And I know he's going to get into school, and some kid's going to say something. He's going to knock him cuckoo. And under the law, I would have had to set my kid in front of the other kid and say, go ahead and nail him. Eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. I'm glad Jesus superseded that. Because in our lifetime then, if somebody does something to us that's, that's ungodly or by accident or even on purpose, what did he do? He said, turn the other cheek. <laughs> what? No, I like the eye for the eye. No, you don't if, you, if you're the one that's getting the second eye removed. Because Jesus brought it to a higher level. Well, he just, he just didn't know what he was talking. He said, you've heard it say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Israel had to destroy every nation that didn't know God. Literally wipe them out down to the man, boy, child, animal. Destroy the enemy. And Jesus said, You've heard them say, hate your enemy, but I say to you now, love your enemy. I don't know about you, but that's not easy for me to do. Because an enemy is not somebody I just think did me wrong. An enemy is someone who did me wrong. And the highest Revelation of the nature and character of God said these things to us. And he means what he says. And he practiced what he preached. Sinless and without stain and with no fault whatsoever, they took him outside of Jerusalem and hung him on a tree. They teased him in the trials, pulled his beard from his face and spit on him and said, prophesy to us, who hit you? He could have told them who hit him. He could have told them who their parents were. He could have told them what their grandmother looked like. He could have given them their whole lineage, and he shut his mouth. 
when they nailed him to the tree and ridiculed him, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Is that in you? You have the potential. Jesus said, I'm greater than Jonah. <laughs> Jonah went to the depths and rose from the sea to win a city. Jesus went to the depths and rose from the grave to win a world. He said, a wiser and greater than Solomon is here, pointing to himself. He said, a greater than the temple is here when he talked about the Sabbath day because his disciples had abused the Sabbath day laws. And he just said, they're with me and I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. In fact, Jesus totally eliminated the temple. Did you know that as a, as a prerequisite for worship? In John 4, he talks to the Samaritan. I'm talking about the authority of Christ. He talks to the Samaritan woman. She says, you Jews say that we should worship in Jerusalem. My guys say that we ought to worship up here in Samaria. And Jesus said, the time is coming and now is that those that worship me will worship in spirit and in truth. It's not about the temple because he's greater than the temple. He ended the sacrificial system with one sacrifice. All the multitudinous sacrifices are down through the years. All the day of atonement and the personal responsibility sacrifice. He wiped them out with one sacrifice. Because Jesus is greater. He has this history of a high priest through the lineage of Moses and Aaron that has been put into place since the law was spoken. But he comes as a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And he ever liveth to make intercession for you and me. What he is and what he said is greater. If we ignore Jesus' teachings... It brings judgment. Again, Deuteronomy 18, 19. That whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Matthew 7. It'll be like a house, the foolish man, who doesn't listen to what I say. His house is built on the sand. It won't handle the storm. Hebrews chapter 2, 2 through 3 says, for if the word spoken by angel was steadfast, speaking of the Mosaic law, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we ne neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Jesus asked this question in Luke six forty six, And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Do you call him Lord? Do you recognize his authority? Do you recognize that he is demanding of humanity something that you and I can't do in and of ourselves? I hope you're sitting here this morning thinking, I'm in trouble. I hope you're sitting here this morning like I am thinking, dude, you got a long way to go. You're so far from this image. 
But I also have to tell you that Christ's teachings, if accepted and applied, brings blessing and life. And he takes us from where we are. He sees our willingness to move in a direction. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. Are you willing to move now into that realm of where you're placing your faith under Christ's law? Under obedience and subjection to the one who loved you and gave himself for you. Are you ready for that? Are you willing for that? The Bible says that those who hear and do what he has said is like a wise man. The house is upon a rock and you weather the storms. Proverbs 10.22, one of my favorite verses, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow to it. He'll add to your life what you can't even imagine. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Isaiah said in chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel... You shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. We are a needy people. I didn't come here today to put you under condemnation, because for those that understand justification, there is therefore now, there is therefore now, come on people, talk to me, there is therefore now no condemnation. I'm justified. I'm in line with God. But what I've given you today is that higher revelation of God that is asked of you to pursue. Well, how do I pursue it, Brother Larson? How could I possibly, through the law of faith? And when your faith is in who Christ is and what Christ has done, the Holy Spirit who lives in you, in you will progressively start you marching up this stairway to be like him. We won't achieve it by the time he comes back for us or by the time we die, but I can tell you this, what I want, I want him to find me stepping up those steps. I, don't, I haven't attained and I haven't apprehended, but this one thing I do, I, I press... I choose to press for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, well, do I have to learn everything that he said? Well, let's just balance it out into, and make it simple. I'll give you the two greatest commandments that Jesus spoke that still are alive today and existing today. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. And depend upon the Holy Spirit to, to plant that love in you and further that love and grow that love for God so that God becomes the dominant theme in your mind and in your heart. It doesn't mean that you're going to sit down and read the Bible all day. It means that as you go through the work, as you work on the farm, as you ride the horses, as you plant the field, as you work in the stores, you work in the bank, as you work in the hospitals, whatever it is you go through, Jesus is the centerpiece of your mind. 
you got to concentrate on life. I get that. But the whole purpose of life now is different for me. I want to find out what Jesus is like. And I know that through faith in grace, through my faith in Christ in the cross, it's taking me somewhere. The message of the cross is not just a theology that I spit out of my mouth. It's taking me somewhere. It's making me subject to Christ and the authority of what he said. And it's given me a goal in life outside of retirement or outside of money. It's given me a goal to be like Him. And He's given me the Holy Spirit, which is, through faith and grace, the power source to help me change. And so when I see what I'm not, I don't despair and throw it away and say, I can't. I say, I can by the help and grace of the Lord. And then you go to God telling Him what you're not, and you say, Lord, help! I can't! You can! Help! And he'll do it. And you'll find yourself acting like he acts, doing what he said by the faith and grace. And what a joy to find all of a sudden that what used to make you want to kill somebody now makes you want to pray for somebody. Can I get a witness up in here? Take it to where you live. Love God with all of your heart. Oh, yeah, it's number two. Love your neighbor in the same way that Christ has loved you. Has he been patient with you? Has he thrown you away? Has he destroyed you instead of helping you? No. So do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How do I do that? By the law of faith, by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, living under the law of Christ with a goal of Christ-likeness is my challenge. The high moral ethic of Christ can only be achieved by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works solely on the basis of your faith in Christ and what he's done. When the believer's faith remains in the person who redeemed him and the redemptive work of Calvary, the potential of being and doing what Christ did and what he was exists in all of us. And I challenge you as I close today, you can be what he wants you to be. He didn't just give you the demand what to do. He's given us the how to become it. And I know it's a struggle, and I know it's not easy, and I know it makes you weird and different from everybody else in the whole world. But to steal a phrase from a commercial, if you follow him, you're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him all the way. Would you stand with me? Where he leads me, musicians, I will follow. 
where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him, all the way. Any idea where I'm at? Tell everybody else. Key of D again. There it is. Key of D. Where he leads me, we will follow. Where he leads us, we will follow. you to this altar just for a time of worship and let the commitment that I've challenged you with be real in your hearts. Let's just say, Lord, I desire to follow you. I know I'm not where I'm going, but I thank you that you love me and you've justified me. And I'm on the path this morning of becoming like you. I commit to that today. I renew that commitment in my heart and I step out to worship if you'll just take a few minutes before we close, I'd ask you to come. You can do it right where you are if you're more comfortable. But let's enter into that worship. Let's make that commitment to follow the authority of Christ. Second verse that you have. Oh, 
by this message, you can find us on Facebook at Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Our contact for prayer or donations is by mail, Faith Worship Center, P.O. Box 296, Porsche, Arkansas, 72457. Through Messenger or PayPal, you can find that link on Facebook also. Thank you and God bless you and your family.